Good morning to everyone. It is early in the morning for us, but this is the time that you have. Welcome back to Fluency Fast Tracks member-only podcast. Today we're going to talk about a question that has really big impacts on the way that we study language. That is, is English more of a science or an art? The reason we're talking about this today is because the implications of whether language is more like a science or an art really does impact the mindset that we have, as well as the strategy that we have as we approach language learning. If it's more of a science, then we should focus more on the grammar and the rules and the vocabulary, the terms, the laws, if you will. And that would give us pretty much everything we need for learning a language. So like the idea of the scientific theory is pretty much all scientists need to discover the universe, where you make a hypothesis, you test it, and you discover the conclusions, and then you test it again. That is all we would need for language. But if English is more of an art than it is an expression and more of an extension or a tool that we wield in order for people and cultures to express themselves using their language, many of you guys as high intermediate or advanced students, you guys know the answer to this. You've studied enough. You've seen so many of the rules fall apart at your level in language learning. So for you, you're like, yeah, Josh and Amber, I get that. I, I see everything that I have studied so far falling apart. English is not easy. Well, there are some things you can do, though, to understand more deeply. This is something linguists really dig into, and it really impacts the way that people study English. In fact, this conversation that we're about to have today is really the underpinnings of any language learning method. I'm going to kind of rephrase the question in a way that I've often thought about. I wish I could just have all the grammar and the vocabulary programmed into my brain while trying to learn a language. So for us learning Chinese, I wish I could just have sat down and just hammered out all the vocabulary that I needed, all the grammar that I needed, and then I would be fluent. I've often wished that. But the question is, is even if I did do that, even if that was possible, would I be fluent? Well, before we get to that, let's talk about three case studies that can help us understand this a little bit easier. So the first case study is this idea of isolated children. Sometimes they're called feral children, which is a very strange name, but that's what they're called. These are children who have been left alone for a very large portion of their developmental years. These are kids that have been isolated and basically untrained. They're called feral. That's the word that we would use for like a wild animal because they have to learn how to survive sometimes in really lonely places. Even if they do have people around them, some of these cases are cases of abuse and neglect where parents or their captors don't communicate with them. So they're just given sustenance to live, but they're not provided any sort of language. They're not spoken to. They're not addressed. They don't have any sounds really around them. That's what we mean by isolated children. This is obviously awful and it's something that we don't ever want to happen to a child. Like this is the worst thing I can imagine happening to a kid is just being treated as if they're not there. There was this prevailing opinion that there was a part of your brain that is actually basically like a language organ. Like we were pre-programmed to have a certain disposition toward 
our culture's language. Interestingly, in all of these studies, trying to work with isolated children, trying to help them learn to engage with the world around them once they come out of such isolation, they were able to communicate. They did have a system of communication. It was just different than anything else. Obviously, they would have to engage somehow. They would have to have some kind of language. When they were found, isolated children obviously had weaker language skills and cognitive abilities from neglect. However, they had their own fairly sophisticated language system because they still sought to connect. They still had to communicate something. And yes, the bedrock of that communication was definitely body language, facial expressions, and intonation. But they had something. And most amazingly is their ability to acquire language was extremely quick when they were finally exposed and brought out to civilization. So despite the fact that these children had no knowledge of grammar or culture or vocabulary, it didn't mean that they couldn't communicate at all. They just communicated differently. Yeah, that has really big implications for us as language learners because that means we are trying to make sense of the world around us. That means just like the isolated children who are trying to figure out how to communicate, we are all continuing to figure out how to communicate. We're recognizing patterns, we're trying to develop these grammar rules in our own minds. When we are given quality education, we are given the tools to be able to communicate better, just like these isolated children. The next case study is one that is near and dear to Amber's heart and my heart, but Amber's a little bit more skilled in this area than I am, which is animals. Animals communicate. That is a fact, but they communicate differently than we as humans do. The reason why I say this is near and dear to Amber's heart is because when she was younger, she was a horse trainer. She was able to work with abused and neglected horses. And for me, having no experience with horses whatsoever, I did not like horses. They were scary. They were big. They were imposing. They were intimidating. And I didn't know their language. I didn't know how to talk to them. I didn't know how to tell them to calm down. I didn't know how to tell them, stop, I don't want you to run me over, or I don't want you to throw me off, or anything, something like that. I didn't know that. The horses, ironically, could read my body language and understand what I was saying, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. Interestingly, there were several observations that I got from working with horses that applies here to our discussion today. One thing was that horses do rely on body language, but it's body language that is as specific as where their eyes are looking, uh, a flick of an ear or a swish of a tail, whether they're tense or relaxed, all of those things add a lot of color and intonation to what they mean. Like if they flick their tail faster, it could mean one thing than it would if they flicked it softer. It's the same way with how hard they hit the ground with their feet when they like stomp at you angrily. Maybe it is expressing some kind of discontent with you, but then if they just do it lightly, maybe they're swatting a fly or they're just trying to be a little impatient and trying to imply that. It's very interesting how intricate their language really is. As the tragedy that the abused horse went through is worked with and dealt with and they calm down, they do adopt more language like the horses around them. Now, they don't fully ever fit in, but they do definitely communicate much better and they get themselves into the horse herd, their place in the herd, a lot easier than they would have early on. Wild horses, mustangs, they have completely different body language. They have the same parts of their body, obviously, that a domesticated horse does. It's not like they're completely different animals. It's just they built and relied on themselves as a herd far more 
than individual horses born and raised or bought and sold among different people's homes. So it's really interesting that wild horses are so much more fierce and acute with body language. The second thing that was very interesting to learn from horses is that our bodies are so different. To them, it looks like we are baring our teeth all the time. We seem very aggressive to them. Our ears are always pinned back. We stand in very aggressive ways to them because we are bipedal rather than having four feet. So our body language is all wrong to a horse at first, but they quickly size us up and figure us out which is fascinating to me because they rely on all of that. And yes, you can add audio cues and things of that nature. They do learn that. But it's fascinating that they will create this pseudo language with us as people and learn how to communicate with us. And that's what horse training is all about, is you learn to communicate with them with your body. This is just one case study. Of course, this happens with all kinds of cases across the animal kingdom. All that points to the fact that language can be communicated through body language. I mean, you think of the people that are like deaf. They don't communicate any less. They use sign language. But sign language has a lot of grammatical rules to it relative to body language. But interestingly, body language has rules a little bit. There is a certain order that happens to communicate a certain thing. It's not super complicated. It's pretty intuitive once you are really paying attention to them. But there is an order to certain things in communicating with horses. It's like a grammar to them. Yeah, it's a grammar of a kind. But the point is, it's not going to be super complicated. We can't get down to, like, really complex grammar when it comes to the body language of animals. I will say that every horse had their own flair or style. There were some horses that were just bossier than others. There were some horses that were much more assertive than others and others that were very meek and mild and wouldn't make eye contact as much with other horses. There was plenty of that as well, just like there are from people to people. So it's interesting that horses had a kind of personality, I guess. They had personality that dictated how they communicated and how they interacted with the rest of the herd. Kind of like They had their own art style to go with it, too. Of course, they're not thinking about that actively, but there's differences in how they communicated. This last case study that we're going to talk about is something that is really close to answering this really difficult question. Is is English more of an art or a science? It is the idea of computer-generated AI chatbots. Millions of dollars, billions of dollars have been spent on training these sophisticated AI chatbots. And I don't mean just the chatbot. I just mean AI itself, really. You can go and open an account with OpenAI and just have a conversation with AI. It's really unsettling to people to see how human-like they can be, how they can predict the patterns that you're going to use and answer in like kind. If you prompt it in a very strong way, it can respond in a way to diffuse you. And if you respond to it in a very sad way, then it can come at you with something else. It has learned to do with machine learning by observing just the internet, basically. It has observed the internet and it is basically boiling it down to decide, okay, what is the best, most acceptable response to this prompt that I'm getting? But this has freaked lots of people out, understandably, because it sounds like a human. And some people are even saying, oh, it has a consciousness. We've built something with a consciousness here. It's just so good at holding a conversation. But if you read the entirety of the internet, you probably would be able to find an appropriate response as well. It's actually so good that so many companies have just sprung up here lately or have converted to lately using AI 
to generate content for the internet, to generate their email marketing campaigns, to generate ideas and scripts for their YouTube videos. There are so many things that are just AI generated right now. And actually here recently, experts have come out saying, you know, 90% of the internet is going to be AI generated content by 2026, which is rather alarming if you want to think about it that way. But why are we giving it so much? Why are so many people just relying on it all of a sudden? Because surely AI cannot possibly tap into the intricacies of language, especially when you guys as language learners know how difficult language is to learn. Why? Why? Ultimately, it's because AI-generated content follows one basic rule, which is find the next best word. When it's writing a sentence, it's not necessarily thinking of like a huge, deep process. It's not having this like existential crisis of trying to find out what to do. It's just writing the next word and then the next word and then the next word. It's like a game that we used to play when we were kids called Mad Gab, which is where you have a sentence and then there's one word that's missing and this word needs to be an adjective or this word needs to be a noun. And you just interview somebody and say, hey, give me a random adjective. Give me a random noun. It's like that, but it's highly skilled and highly trained to say this adjective in this situation would be far better because of the context around it because it's the next best word. So it's like by sheer force of observation, it knows, generally speaking, what we deem the best word. So it can catch collocations and phrasal verbs in this way. That means that it has amazingly good grammar and vocabulary. 90% of what AI chatbots say or write is proper grammar. They use proper grammar when they write because they're trying to find that next best word. Or even you can train it by prompting or asking it in a more colloquial way. However, one study found that among five of the most popular chatbots, nearly 60% of the meaning of the information was wrong in some way. So either they gave back these like really weird prompts saying like, hey, how was your summer to this AI chatbot? And they would say, hey, it's none of your business, basically. And it's like, no, that's not really an answer. Like, yes, it's an answer. But like, you could prompt it again by saying in a completely different way, oh, what did you do last summer? And I'll be like, oh, let me answer that for you, which doesn't make any sense. Like relationally speaking, that's not a conversation. That's not fluent. So 90% of what it said was proper, but 60% of the information they said was just either wrong because they scoured the internet and found a really weird website, I guess, or it was wrong because that's really not how we communicate as humans. It's getting better, but right now, still, the idea of language means way more than just vocabulary and grammar that AI seems to know quite well. The thing that is incredibly important, and many of you know this here at Fluency Fast Track, is you can learn all this grammar. You can learn the vocabulary. You can use AI. But what makes AI not human in the way that it communicates is that it does generate typically either common informal phrases and terms and ways that we say things, or it uses proper grammar and vocabulary. It just puts the wrong word in the wrong place for the wrong meaning. The thing is in English, and many of you know this, is we can say something in various ways. We might manipulate the tense that we use. Like, for example, asking a question in the simple past versus the present perfect. There are different reasons for that that are personal reasons, whether I want to have an open conversation with you, how recently I'm asking a question about, or just whether I want a simple yes or no answer. Those are things that are very human things 
that I can just decide on a whim. The AI cannot do that. They cannot do that very well. Yes, it can give you a perfect, simple past question to answer. It can even give you a slang one to question you with. But it cannot pick up on the nuances of when I would come home and ask, oh, so what have you done today? Versus, oh, what did you do today? It cannot pick up on that. And somebody can go in there and train it. Yes, yes, yes. But it's not going to be right most of the time. That's one of those things that we just decide on a whim based off of how we're feeling, whether we're open to a bigger conversation or whether we're asking about a process or whatever. But also we break grammar all the time on purpose. We break the rules. We intentionally use the wrong words. We intentionally wield sarcasm by breaking grammar and vocabulary. These are things that AI cannot do very well. Sure, it can observe the internet full of this. The internet's a great place to pick up on sarcasm and broken grammar rules. However, it's not going to know how to wield those broken rules because there's no law behind it. It's literally what we would say willy-nilly. We do it willy-nilly. We do it however we want to do it, whenever we want to do it, based off of how we're feeling. And different personalities will do it at different times and in different contexts. So many things. It's a complex web of communication that builds up the reason we communicate the way that we do. So what does that mean for you? The impact for you guys is that English is an art. There are definitely some scientific components to it, like conditioning and remembering vocabulary and even the grammar rules. That's what the whole science of linguistics is. But it's also an art, like Amber just said, it requires expression. It cannot just be spoken in a voidless, contextualless setting. It requires that we see the world around us. Also, like you were talking about with the horses, we have our own flair. Even if I could have that download of all the grammar and all the vocab of the language that I'm trying to study, yes, it would absolutely put me leagues ahead of other people that have to do it the hard way. However, I would not still be able to communicate with people there 100% effectively because of all the other things I'm missing, of all the ways that they break the language, how they communicate with their parrot language. I would be seen as a robot. And unfortunately, there is no way around the fact there are some things in language, really a lot of things in language, that there really is no reason for this. For example, salt and pepper is the way you say it. You don't say pepper and salt. There's a whole branch in linguistics trying to study collocations and why we say it that way. They look at syllables, they look at balancing, they look at flow of pronunciation and intonation. But sometimes the reason we say things together and that's the only pattern that we use, it's just because. That's one of those things that's hard to grasp as an English language learner. For those of you that are so close to fluency, collocations are one of the most common marks that shows that you're not quite there yet. You don't have mastery of the language yet. Is maybe because that's not something that you've picked up on yet. And that's okay. That's something that as you study and as you listen more and more and more, you'll actually start doing it without thinking about it. Now, if you sit down and memorize a list of collocations, you could do that, but it's not something that you are going to actively engage in with your language. You might be able to write it down because you're consciously thinking you have more time. You're not going to sit down in a conversation and suddenly start using collocations perfectly fine and appropriately. Collocations are a great example of how language is more of an art than a science because science has spent a lot of time on it and we have no direct answer for it. So what can we do? We know that there's a lot of words to memorize. We know that there's a lot of grammatical rules to get correct. We also know that, frankly, AI is better at acquiring them than we are. So what can we do as humans? How can we acquire the language? And the number one thing we can do is listen. Listen 
to how people speak the language, not how they should speak the language, not how you thought they did speak the language, not how you learned in elementary school for your listening comprehension to speak the language. How are they speaking? What are they saying? And think about it. Why did they say you done messed up instead of you messed up? Why did they do that? More importantly, it's not just break it down and have this scientific approach every time that you hear somebody talking. That's unrealistic, right? What you should be doing is listening often. Make a lifestyle of listening to English because you're going to hear it being used in so many different ways and you're just going to pick up on things that are very regular and incorporate those without really even thinking about it. But you'll also be able to put your own flair on things. You'll be able to manipulate the language yourself to put your own personality in the way that you speak, which is really cool. And it's something that is an awesome way to wield language. Language is not a set thing. It is changing all the time. The best way to keep up with it as an English language learner is to listen. You can also do a lot of reading and read widely from various genres and you'll also pick up on some things. But know too that reading is typically something that has been edited by the time that you've seen it. It's something that's been run through Grammarly or maybe it's AI generated by now. Be careful in an AI world, a world where people are turning to AI to do a lot more of their content creation work and even books being written by AI now. If you just go to people and you listen to them, you'll be far more likely to pick up on natural language. And the more you listen, the more you'll incorporate without even realizing it. If anything, as you're saying something, your mind's voice will have another way to say it. And you'll be like, where did that come from? Or what I just said doesn't sound right. Or this over here sounds better than what I was planning to say. As you experiment and as you use it, you'll be surprised to see that, oh, I'm far more fluent now. That was very fluent to say. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for sticking with us on this podcast today, because that's what Amber just said, is to listen. And you guys are doing that now. You are committed. You have worked. You have allocated time, even if that means you're doing dishes or you're walking or whatever it is. You are in taking English. That is why we do this podcast. That is why we have these tools here on Fluency Fast Track so that we can help you guys get to fluency. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this podcast and to take in English today because that is one of the most important things we can do for language learning. All right, guys, that's it for today. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.